0: Okay, well, it's good to see you and be with you tonight. A couple of things that uh, I want to tell you about, an update. Andre, uh, Risa told me that Russ is getting to, ready to go home tonight from the hospital, so praise the Lord for that. He was in pretty bad shape, and it looks like Chelsea's going to go home uh, in the morning, so we're grateful for that, and we appreciate uh, all of your prayers, and uh, you you don't know how much that means to us, and uh, thank you so very much. Well, we have a new psalm tonight and uh, we're going to take bets on which one it is and see who's closest and give out cash prizes. You think we could fill up a church if we could do that? We uh, are going to Psalm 12, okay, and that's for free. And we're going to look at this. Uh, David is, well, again, like so many times in the psalms, he's kind of in a pickle and uh, he as a king as the uh, sovereign over Israel is looking around and he starts noticing that something is beginning to change kind of like we've done maybe in this country a nation like Israel that was committed to God under a covenant with the God uh, with God had been delivered by God and preserved by God all of those kind of things but the people are starting to get a little um, bored They're getting a little interested in false gods and other things. And David looks around and he starts noticing that all of the people he could count on, all the people that would love him and pray for him and advise him and all of that, their numbers are starting to shrink, at least those that he would trust. And uh, I think we're going to and already have seen that kind of happen even here in our culture We can identify with what David is going through. There are so many, I'm so sick of hearing about people that used to be faithful. Now they've fallen into sin or they've abandoned the faith or something like that. Seems like every time you turn around, there's something like that. So David is uh, going through that. And we've entitled this, What Can the Righteous Do? Boy, sometimes it just really seems hopeless, it seems useless, it seems pointless. What are we going to do? And uh, sometimes it feels like not much. But we'll start off by saying, and we're going to see this in this psalm, we can pray. And uh, don't ever discount prayer. Don't ever get to the point to where you think prayer is the last resort. It ought to be the first resource that we have. We can talk to God about it and cry out to Him. We can also trust God. We need to uh, think about the promises of God. The promises of God are not negated just because we live in a different age and a different time. The promises of God are still in effect and they're still working and uh, we need to just be patient because sometimes we don't see the result of the promises of God just because we claim it doesn't mean everything changes. Sometimes it takes a while and sometimes we don't see it until later on in our life and we look back and say, boy, that was a really good time and God answered our prayer and we just weren't aware of it at the time so we can trust God and we are to live by faith the Bible says the just shall live by faith we're the just the justified ones and it also says that without faith it's impossible to please him and it says as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him Well, how did you receive Jesus by grace through faith well that's the way you're supposed to walk and to live every single day in the good times as well as the bad times and uh, I I admit it's difficult to do that but we certainly need to and uh, we can also uh, obey God and there are those times when we don't feel like obeying God it doesn't seem like the um, well as Paul told Timothy preach the word and then he said quoting the out of the authorized version be instant in season and out of season in other words He tells the young pastor, be ready whether it's a popular time, whether it's easy, whether it's wanted, whether the people are hungry for it, but also be ready when they're not and when there's opposition and when there are problems. And that's what we have to figure out about obeying God. Our feelings are not the issue. Our emotions are not the issue. The climate and the culture is not the issue. The issue is what did God say? And if he is God and if we are submitted to him then we are to obey him no matter what there used to be a saying back uh in the 70s that said god believe god said it i believe it and that settles it and when i was a teenager i heard my uh, father-in-law preaching and he says no he goes it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not god said it that settles it believe it or not well that obviously made a big impact on me because that was well over 50 years ago. God said it, that settles it, believe it or not. We've got to get that mentality. If he says rejoice in the Lord always, doesn't matter how you feel or what you think about it, just obey him. If we're to give thanks in all things and for all things, it doesn't matter what we think, how we reason, or what everybody else says about it, just, you know, we're fools for Christ's sake. Just go ahead and give thanks and uh, see what that does to your attitude we've got to just obey God in these times well I've got a quote up there from one of my favorite presidents Abraham Lincoln and he says sir my concern is not whether God is on our side my greatest concern is to be on God's side for God is always right we just solved all of our political problems and our social problems and all of that, because the key is not to try to twist God's arm through prayer and, and uh, praying scripture and having faith so that God comes out and says, well, I'll, I'll join you on what you do. That's never been the issue. The issue is, will we join Him? Will we get involved in what God is doing? God is always at work, and we are so busy trying to get Him to join us in our work, what we need to do is quit that and join Him where He is working And uh, be on his side. And so uh, reading this psalm, we're going to look at four verses tonight. And David says, help, the uh, word could also be translated save. So think of it like this. Save, Lord, for the godly, the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They, meaning the unfaithful people, the ungodly people, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongues we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us that is a chilling statement that last line they say who is Lord over us that's the world we live in that's the world David lived in that's the culture that we live in that's the culture that he lived in and you remember about Jesus they said we will not have this man to be king over us That's what human hearts are still saying today and we think about What uh, David had to say here. And it's reminiscent of several New Testament verses. And uh, we may talk about some of those. But um, notice here as we think about what are the righteous to do. I want you to notice David's plight. The culture is changing because the godly are fading. The culture is changing because the godly are fading. They're dying off. That always happens as we get older. Older people die off. Younger people sometimes die as well. There are people that get um, transferred to other places. There are people who are uh, at a different stage in life than they once were. Everything is always changing. And David says, and as I look out there, it seems like the circle of my influence and my advisors is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's one reason for that that is really heartbreaking. Sometimes the people that we thought were godly turn out to be fakes. And they defect. And they go their own way. And so David is facing this. You've faced this. You've had people betray you. You've had people abandon you. You've had people that you thought you could count on them and then found out that you Couldn't you know people and you could name people that you trusted spiritually, maybe even spiritual leaders, and they're not serving God anymore? They're not living for the Lord anymore? Or some, very sad, like uh, Ravi Zacharias, uh, the great Indian preacher, that uh, he wrote all kinds of books, spoke at all of our major universities in the U.S., spoke at big churches, had a lot of support And a a big, big, big following. And then after he dies, we find out that he was uh, sexually perverted and immoral and all of those things. It's just heartbreaking when you see those kind of things. We all experience that. And the Bible does talk about in the latter days, the love of many will grow cold. And there are going to be people that defect. Well Paul even had that happen to him and if you read 2 Timothy chapter 4 it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible where he says I'm here in prison and I'm alone only Luke is with me so Timothy come quickly and come before winter bring Mark with you and then he makes this statement Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Well that's just a that just breaks your heart to think that uh, the Apostle Paul would be there alone in prison and uh, asking for Timothy to come. And uh, where where were all of the people he had led to the Lord? Where are all the people from uh, those churches in that area? And we don't really know, but we've all had those times when it seems like we were just kind of abandoned, left alone. And sometimes it's because, like in the case of Paul... ...because people have decided they love the world more than they love Jesus... ...and they reveal their true nature, sadly, when all of that happens. They don't lose their salvation. They uh, reveal that they never had it. So he says, Help or save, Lord, for the godly man ceases... ...for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. And it, uh, it's reminiscent of Matthew chapter 7, verse 14... And because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Few. So uh, sometimes we get fooled by the times when the culture seems to be with us. We get fooled by the times when people use our lingo on things, but they don't use our dictionary, the Bible. And uh, they may say the right things, but they don't believe the right things. They don't mean the right things. And so we kind of get fooled or maybe hoodwinked by the enemy into thinking we're a part of a big multitude and we've got all of these things. And the truth is there are probably more people than we realize who believe like we do and who serve the Lord. But sometimes we tend to think that, boy, the The tsunami of faith is moving on, and we're right there in the midst of it, only to find out later on that there are not as many as we thought and that not every profession was genuine and not every uh, conversion, quote-unquote, was actually a conversion. Uh, It may have been somebody just uh, saying that they love Christ and it was just words. It may be somebody saying they're a Christ follower, but that's only... If they can get the health and get the wealth and all of the good things that go on. And yet we're called to persevere. We walk through the narrow gate. We give up everything to follow Christ. And we follow on the narrow way. And the narrow way goes upstream from this world. So there's a lot of pressure and a lot of disappointments. In uh, Psalm 119 verse 157 it says... Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. Oh, that we could die saying that. We persevered. We held on. We kept fighting the fight. There was a race in uh, ancient Greece where they would give each of the runners a torch and they would run at night. And the goal was not only to be the fastest running, but to keep your torch burning and cross the finish line with your torch burning my prayer for us and for our church is that we will finish the race one way or another but that we would finish it successfully that we would finish with our light still burning and uh, a light that shines even after we are gone and an influence that carries on for generation after generation after generation in our family in our church and in our community in our metro area state nation and even in the world long after we are gone in Hebrews 11 when uh, the writer gives the hall of fame of those faithful people he says that they being dead still speak I I pray that would be said of me I pray that would be said of us that our influence would continue to uh, go on and have an impact but David looks and he's alarmed you can tell by the way he writes it. He's alarmed because it seems like the godly are perishing. This land that had once been so faithful is now being unfaithful. And this land that was set apart for the people of God. where well, there are fewer and fewer of them that seem uh, serious about all of that. And take the word of God and the covenant of God seriously. They've forgotten what God has done. They don't really care about it. It's just a story or a myth to them. And uh, that's, that's a sad thing. Number two, David did not know whom to trust or to believe. Now, that's a bad situation when you don't know who to trust. Bad situation. Can you imagine what it's like if you're a king? Can you imagine what it's like when every day you are making decisions about life and death, about war and peace, about the economy about all of those kind of things but kings in those days also did something else you see they didn't have courts like we have courts and they didn't have law enforcement like we have law enforcement they certainly had military but the king was also a judge and to judge it meant that he would hear cases and so there'd be people that would come before him And uh, there'd be two neighbors and there'd be something that happened between them and King David would have to make a judgment as to who was right, who was wrong, what the fine would be and what the remedy would be in that, okay? And so he had to do that. Can you imagine doing that day after day after day and seeing some of the ridiculous and the petty things? And I'm sure there were those kind of things when David his heart would say oh man I'm glad this came up this has to be solved and this has to be settled I've got to make a good ruling on that but how many stupid frivolous things would come up you know our courts are jammed up in our own country today by what they call frivolous lawsuits and I sure wish they'd do something about that if I had anything to do with it I would put a cap on the amount of money you could get for certain things and then I think I would also make it to say make it like this that if you file a lawsuit against somebody that's a frivolous or false type thing a silly petty thing the loser pays for all the court cost and I think you would probably see a lot of people think twice before they did that well that was David's world that was David's life now for David to make a good ruling a ruling according to the law of God, a ruling that would be righteous, a ruling that would be just, he also had advisors, he had people that he could call on and he evidently had a lot of them. Can you imagine what David is like as he grows older, as he rules over the kingdom and he's not getting more of those people, he's getting fewer and fewer and fewer that seem to really know the Word of God and have a heart for the things of God. Not everybody who Uh, pretends to be wise or professes to be wise or acts like a wise person really is wise. There are a lot of people in our day with a lot of knowledge and there's nothing wrong with having a lot of knowledge but in the book of Proverbs it says that while we are gathering information we need to pursue wisdom. The wisdom to know how to apply that knowledge. Think about the astronomer who knows so much about the universe and yet he's an atheist and an evolutionist, and the fear uh, the beginning of god the excuse me the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and so he may be knowledgeable, but he's not wise. okay David needed some people around him who were wise who could take a principle from the word of God and apply it to that court case, apply it to a battle strategy, apply it to Uh, The way that he would rule and lead the country. He needed people who could help him do that. But there are fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. The longer I live, the fewer people I have that I can pick up a phone and call and ask a question or seek advice from. A lot of them have died and gone on to heaven. And uh, there are people that I would love to be able to talk to, even my own parents, just to talk and tell them about something, get their advice about something. But at this stage in my life, uh, that uh, the the people like that, that I grew up with, the people that I followed, the people that I respected, the people that I walked in their footsteps and took advice from, are, well, they're growing fewer and fewer and fewer. Some have defected, but uh, most of them have just gotten old and Gone to be with the Lord. Well, this is where David is looking and David is thinking and hurting. You can tell that he's hurting. And he talks about all the people. He's not hearing as much from the godly people because there aren't as many of them. But he sure hears from the ungodly. And what do they do? They speak idly. Well, to speak idle speech means it's worthless. It's pointless. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of like... sometimes christian people instead of speaking about the word of god they're always speaking about whatever else is going on in life they're a little reticent to speak about the word of god or discuss what they learned in sunday school or something like that so they talk about football or so they talk about baseball so they talk about things that don't really matter and nobody's really gonna remember in due time when we have eternal things that we could be speaking up from the Word of God and the Bible says that whenever we gather certainly we gather for the purpose of honoring and worshiping God that audience of one that we ought to be pleasing the Lord Himself but he also said in Hebrews ten twenty four that when we gather we are to consider one another and how we may encourage one another to love and good deeds. Have you done that lately? Does that ever enter your mind? And we are to do that by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but all the more as we see the day approaching. So putting those two verses together, it's not simply about attending and being here every time the doors are open. It's more about what you do with other people while you were here. You were supposed to be an encourager to them to do right. And so uh, when we look at David's situation, he, he didn't have very many of those. It was starting to distress him because everything he heard where it used to be about the Word of God, now it's about idle things, things that don't really matter, things that are not going to help anybody, things that don't glorify God, things that don't feed the soul, things that don't make the mind think on higher and nobler things, as the old hymn says. And so they speak idle, idly, everyone with his neighbor. There's a lot of gossip, there's a lot of slander, there's a lot of just, you know, chatter going on, prattling, maybe we would say. And it says, and then he describes it. Here's what it was. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Flattering lips and a double heart. You know, I'm thinking of the book of James. It says that uh, we are to ask when we talk to God in faith and we're not to be a double-minded man. And he says, uh, for that man is unstable in all his ways and let that man not think that he'll receive anything from God. You can't walk the fence. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You can't live and walk like that half in the world and half serving God or anything, it doesn't work that way. God says, I want all of you, and I deserve all of you, so give me all of you and surrender to me as your king. And that means that we are singular-minded and motivated in things. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that it's sinful to talk about football. It's not sinful to talk about cars or anything like that. It's just that that's not what we are motivated by. That's not what really um, turns our crank, I guess we would say, or fires us up. We talk about things that matter. And uh, if we do talk about those other things, it's not to the exclusion of the Word of God, but it's all a part of it. And we help each other and we encourage one another In those things. Some people. Some Christians. They go to church every Sunday. And they even come on Sunday night. And Wednesday night. And they don't know how to act at a football game. We had at another church. In a small town. We had a deacon. And he was a great guy. And I think he really loved the Lord. Except during a football game. When his son was on the field. And he would act like an absolute pagan when that was happening and just be a complete and total fool and it was causing people to disrespect him and to not really see him as a spiritual leader he was a deacon in the church and so uh, we had to have somebody go talk to him and say brother you've got to stop and think that while you were watching football that is not the most important thing on the earth at that time your testimony And the glory of God is much more important than all of that. And to his credit, he calmed down and he saw it. But he wasn't even really aware of it because he was living emotionally and just reacting to what he saw, reacting to calls he didn't like, reacting to plays that didn't work, reacting to how his son did and all of that type of thing. And uh, this, this is where we get caught up in everything going on in the world we can talk about inflation and high prices we can talk about the cost of gasoline we can talk about what our utility bills are and all of that and we can complain and we can gripe. now is there anything wrong with talking about those things no they are reality but if it causes us to think about that and go you know what the price of gasoline has kinda been going up lately and I noticed the other day filling up our car uh, we're back up. Uh, I mean, we had been in the 40s for a while. Now we're up in the 70s and plus, depending, you know. And uh, it, it just kind of, you know, ticks you off a little bit. But what ought to happen is number one, I ought to say, Thank you, Lord, that we even have gasoline to put in our cars because a lot of things had to happen to get it from the oil patch to uh, where we are and those pumps. Thank you for the electricity that pumps it out of the ground so I don't have to do one of those old fashioned kind of pumps to get it up. I mean, really? that That's a great thing in my mind to do that. And uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, even though I may gripe about it, I can afford it. You ever done that lately? Sometimes we get to the idea, oh, it shouldn't cost that much. You're probably right. But at the same time, are you still able to buy it? Yeah? Then rejoice in that. That's a gift from God. My father-in-law, one time years ago, he was... Uh, paying getting ready to pay at a restaurant and he looked at some candy that was up you know how they have it up there and he looked at it and it was 25 cents and he goes good night i remember when i was a kid you got you know uh, 10 of those for a nickel and uh, he said something to a person that was right there by him and this person said yeah but i bet you you can afford the quarter today a whole lot better than you uh, easier than you could the nickel back in those days And my father-in-law looked at him and looked at the candy and he said, you're right. And he picked up a handful of them and put it down there and and bought $2 worth, it seems like. I mean, think, think about that lesson. We sometimes are so negative about everything while we live like kings, while we are so blessed. And it may be costing us more. And again, I agree with you, it shouldn't, but... We're still living and we're still doing pretty good as we think about those kind of things. And so as we start rejoicing, getting back to the gas thing, what would it be like if, as a believer, I'm pumping gas and I'm looking and I say, I can't believe this stuff is $4 a gallon and, man, I wish I didn't have to put 20 gallons in here. I wish I only had to put 10 or something like that and and griping about what are we going to do. And, boy, this is just awful What if that made me not only thank God for it, but what if I thought, Lord, there are some people, maybe even right around me here, who can't really afford to do what I'm doing right now. It's going to really cut into their grocery bill. It's going to really cut into their lifestyle. And uh, it might mean the difference between buying diapers or formula or something like that. And what if I said, Lord, thank you that you blessed me so much. And I don't have a lot. And I don't have much margin, not as much as I used to, but help me to use what I do have because 5 or $10 could go a long way for a young couple that has to buy diapers or formula. Maybe maybe giving somebody at church or something like that. You know, they have a ways to drive and maybe giving them a gift card or something like that where they could... uh, you know, go to McDonald's on you or something like that or Chick-fil-A or maybe give them a gas card or something like that. What if we took everything going on around us and instead of sinking down to the level of the idle talk and all of those kind of things, we actually did something that was proactive, something that really mattered, something that would bless somebody else. But the world doesn't operate like that. You know, they say some nice things, I've known some uh, people in the world that were just pretty doggone nice, don't you? And uh, they'll say some things, and sometimes, though, I've had some people say some really nice things that was absolutely worthless. You know why? Because it was what David called in here flattery. Flattery. They pump you up so they can use you. They build you up so they can take from you and they don't really care about you because they have a double heart and that literally means an inconsistent mind they can play it both ways they can be your enemy or they can be your friend and whichever is advantageous to them they go that particular direction and we don't want to be like that there are people that the idle talk kind of reminds us of just misinformation there are people that will purposely tell you things that are not quite true they're almost kind of nearly true, but not quite. Just enough to mess you up. Think of train tracks. Train tracks have to be parallel. We all know that. But you don't have to take one track, say the one on the right, and just let it be off by one degree. The train won't derail for a while until the tracks spread far enough apart over a long period of time then the train is in trouble and that's the way a lot of people in the world certainly with the media certainly with politicians but sometimes with neighbors and friends and even people in church they tell you just enough of the real thing to get you off track is what we called it that's where that cliche comes from we we derail There's fake news. We hear that all the time. What about canceling? If you take a wrong stand and you're not politically correct, then all of a sudden all of your friends are gone and all of your influence is gone and nobody looks at your Facebook post anymore or anything like that. Nobody has anything to do with you anymore. We live in a cancel culture in these days or you get demonetized off of YouTube or something like that. All of this stuff is what goes on in the world Or it can be the opposite. Some people can fluff you up and they can promote you and uh, they do it because they want to use you or they cover up somebody's evil for their own personal or political purposes and it's all just a lie and it's all, don't you wonder sometimes who you can trust? And you wonder sometimes when you hear about the government doing something, what's really going on when you watch or try to watch the news and you wonder, what are they not telling me? And how are they spinning this? And what's, what's going on? And you used to know who you could trust. The most trusted man in America when I was a kid was Walter Cronkite, CBS Evening News. And that's the way it is. Remember that? Nobody ever questioned him. Maybe we should have. I don't know. But now you tend to question everything and wonder what their angle is and where they're coming from because there's so much of this kind of stuff that David talks about. His world was a lot like ours. Ours may be worse because of media and social media and things. And then David uh, has a prayer and his prayer is, please stop them, please expose them, and please correct them. Now where did I get that? Look at at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud or boastful uh, things and I got to thinking about that if the Lord did that and you saw somebody with their lips cut off and no tongue and you knew "Ah, that's, that's that guy as somebody that can't be trusted, now they can't talk, that would be pretty obvious. That's what I, where I got the idea of exposing these things, bringing them into the light, because they are like cockroaches. They thrive in the darkness, and when the light comes on, they scatter. And uh, sometimes we don't know who to trust, who to believe, and all of that. Well, if you saw somebody and their lips were cut off... And the Hebrew word there really is destroyed. But uh, picture it with me. Their lips are cut off and their tongue has been cut out of their mouth by God. Well, then you would know that's been brought to light. You've been exposed, buddy. You shouldn't have done that kind of stuff that you do. But flatterers usually don't expose themselves until uh, they have to and until somebody discovers what all they've been doing. And uh, think about... um, you would notice all of that you wouldn't listen to them you wouldn't care what they said even though they can't talk they maybe could write it or post it on uh, social media but you wouldn't want anything to do with anything that they had and hopefully going through all of that they would change I mean the the best thing would be the guy with no lips and no tongue would fall on his face before God and say God have mercy on me a sinner and change his ways and that's what David is really calling for because he's living in a world where he doesn't know who to trust and then uh, David is calling for all of that kind of stuff to just be destroyed because he doesn't want it coming back he doesn't want it just to go underground sometimes Things get exposed and all they do is they just hide and they hide deeper. And we don't really want that. We really do want correction about all of this because uh, an unruly tongue really does destroy things. Think about James chapter 3 and verse 6. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version. And the tongue is, in a sense, a fire. The very world of fire justice and uh, injustice and unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members as that which contaminates the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life the cycle of man's existence and is set on fire by hell well if that's the case there's a lot of hellishness In the world in which we live, can you say amen to that? I mean, it's everywhere around us, everywhere around us, and so we've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But there are a lot of believers going around that they are as harmful as a serpent because they can't control their tongue, Uh, but they're about as wise as a dove. Jesus called uh, called us to be different, and He said, "I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves." Well, that sound good. Sheep can't really defend themselves. Well, we don't. God is our defender. The Lord is my shepherd. And we are to trust in Him. But we're not to take on the characteristics of the world. But we are to be aware of who they are and what's going on. And that's our last thing. And we're just about done here. Praise God for that. And uh, number four, help us understand the real issue. What is the real issue? What is the real issue? Is it that there aren't enough Democrats? Or there aren't enough Republicans? Or there aren't enough Independents? Or there aren't enough Communists? Or there aren't enough Marxists? Or aren't enough Environmentalists? What is the issue? That's all the world can come up with. Politics and party and divisions. And aren't enough gays. Or aren't enough transgenders. Or aren't enough lesbians. Or aren't enough drug addicts. aren't. or I mean, what do they have to offer us, and what is their solution. Well, David nails it here, and he says in verse 4, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. You know, the world thinks they can just out-talk everything. The world thinks that if they say the right things, it doesn't really matter what they do, because we have a lot of big talkers And do-nothing people out there, we don't even expect politicians to keep their promises. We're not surprised when they break their promises. We just think that's just, you know, kind of the way it is. That's the name of the game. And there are so many people that think that everything can be solved if we just could out-talk everybody else. Did you watch that uh, debate not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, with those seven Republicans? And it got disgusting when all seven of them were talking at the same time and the moderators couldn't control anything. Just jabber, 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 jabber. Get louder, get louder, get louder. You need to hear my voice. I'm the one that has the answer. And you just kind of want to go, Oh, just everybody be quiet. Listen to one another. You ever felt like that in your own family? You ever felt like that in your own neighborhood? Have you ever felt like that in church? That's why the Bible says we're supposed to be swift to what? Hear. And slow to speak. And slow to wrath. But there's so many times we are talking, we don't listen, we think we know what the other person said or what they texted or what they really meant by what they said. And so we judge their heart and their motive and we get angry about it and we retaliate and all of this stuff. This is what the Bible is talking about, saying, well, we've got to be careful because the tongue is set on fire by hell. God help us. No wonder we're not getting the gospel out. We're too busy being right and we're too busy putting other people in their place. And we're too busy, you know, asserting ourselves on all of that. And that's why we've got to yield our rights to God. And that's why we've got to be submissive to Him and follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, it says, we, with our tongue, we will prevail. Well, that's an arrogant statement, isn't it? And it says, our lips are our own. I can say anything that I want. Have you noticed how much more profane language has gotten in the last few years? Have you noticed how everywhere you go, people are using God's name in vain? And they're using vulgar language and things that you probably can remember a time when people wouldn't say that. And they wouldn't say it in front of a woman, and a woman wouldn't say it. Now we're all together in it. and I mean, it's just an awful, profane world in which we live. And they do that because they say, our lips are our own. I'm just going to call it like I see it, and I say what's on my mind. Somebody said, you know, don't give me a piece of your mind. You can't spare it. Isn't that right? And a lot of times when I think about, you know, a comedian, I may want to watch a comedian I've heard is funny, and then the first thing out of their mouth is something nasty, or they use profanity and that kind of thing. And uh, in my mind, that's a sign of a slow intellect. That's a sign of somebody who's not really funny. So they have to say four-letter words, off-color things, to make people giggle like eighth-grade boys. They're not really funny, and they're not really amusing, and uh, that, that's the world in which we live. And so uh, we're, we're preoccupied by all of those things that we should have gotten over when we were in about 7th, 8th, or ninth grade, those kind of things. But it's our life. It's our tongue. I can say whatever I want. I've got freedom of speech. But the last part of this just is haunting. It says, with our tongue we will prevail. We can get out of this. And our lips are our own. You can't judge me or stifle me or stop me. And then they say, who is Lord over us? Who's Lord over us? We are the captain of our own soul and our destiny. We rule our lives, nobody else. What a joke. What a joke. And what a sad joke. Because one of these days, those same people that are so arrogant, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about that. Everybody's going to admit who Jesus is. And you either do it on this side of life, surrendering to Him, or you do it on the other side when you do it by force. And that's the last thing you say before you're cast into the lake of fire forever. And maybe the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth or people shrieking over and over for eternity in hell. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. But it's too late. Who is our Lord? Who is Lord over us? Well, it's not politics. It's not your race. It's not poverty. It's not your gender. It's... uh, Not your pride or anything like that. In fact, uh, this is a very prideful and arrogant statement. It's basically saying to God, I'll run my own life. I don't need any help from you. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, take this to heart, Christian. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination you know, I've heard people talk about different sexual sins and things. Now, I would never do that. Well, you might. Well, that's an abomination. I've never done that. Well, here's an abomination for you a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. You know what's sad about that? That would be the description of a lot of Baptist churches. Well, we're here for the glory of God, yeah, but we are committing abominations every time we get together, or every time we have a business meeting, or every time we discuss something, or you know, or the way we treat one another or whatever. It's a sad, sad thing when you think about it. And that's all the world knows. It's not just one or two things. It's a lot of things that are going on constantly in all of that. So when believers are surrounded and outnumbered by the wicked, they should pray to God, trusting in his promises and his protection. And thank you, Dr. Steve Lawson, for that last word, because that's a good word, and that's really what we ought to do. May the Lord help us. To be able to actually do that. I think it would make a profound difference in our world, in our culture, in our lives, in our fruitfulness, in our witness and uh, all of that if we would just remember that. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through and so I don't get wrapped up in all of this stuff like everyone else does. Yes, I want to be a good steward. Yes, I want to be involved. Yes, I want to be salt and light but I don't want to be walking around in despair and sin like the rest of the world. We have a better way, and God has instructed us, and uh, David shows us that in Psalm 12. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, as we conclude tonight, we pray that this has been an instructive, encouraging, fruitful time, that our lives and our hearts will be changed, that we've had minds that are renewed so that we can comprehend the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that we have hearts that are tender and receiving the Word of God so that we will obey what we have learned and not just say, that was interesting, close our Bibles and go about our life as normal. And we pray, Lord, that you would open doors for us that no one could shut and shut doors that... No one could open and keep us on the right path with the right attitude, fully trusting in you, your promises and also your protection. You will see us through and we'll spend an eternity in heaven talking about that. And so, Lord, there are people that we could bless and there are situations that we could bring light into darkness, we could bring joy into despair and sorrow, we could bring hope to the hopeless. My prayer is, Lord, please, may we do that. May we do it willingly. May we do it gladly. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've got some letters down here that uh, you can sign. And it certainly means a lot to people when they know that you've been praying for them. And you've actually put your uh, name on the dotted line for that. Uh, We've got one for Rest Demeter. We've got one for... Bob Newman, um, he's probably facing knee surgery or something like that. He's hurt his knee for Todd Boyd. The good news about Todd, he not only, as we told you Sunday night, got to go home, but uh, even after his stroke, everything's normalized. He's working, and uh, they've got a big project at work, and he's a big part of all of that, and he's uh, been able to uh, do that type of thing. Nat Sanders has blood clots in his legs and uh, that's pretty dangerous and we want to see those things dissolved and uh, see him raised up so they'll be blessed by seeing your name or your note whatever you do and as you uh, write on those so be sure that you do that okay do you have a newsletter and if you do look at the things that are coming up look at the things you need to be involved in look at the opportunities you have to pray for those things even if you're not personally involved in it you can certainly pray about it And uh, look on the uh, prayer list. And be sure and pray for the people that are on there. And don't forget those ongoing needs. People really need you to lift them up in prayer. So um, whatever you need to do now, I would appreciate it if you'd spend some time praying for these people. And uh, sign these letters. And uh, we pray that the Lord will bless you out of that. And be sure you pray for our student ministry. Um, As they finish things up tonight, pray for our Hispanic ministry ministry as they are probably finishing things up tonight. Think about our nursery and our children and the Awana Clubs and the Word of God being in those kids' hearts, the engrafted Word that's able to save their soul. And uh, then think about us. How do we apply what we have learned tonight? There's a place where you can put it to work, and I trust that you will, okay? God bless you, and thank you for being here tonight.